Welcome back to the MedBullet Step 2 and 3 podcast. On today's episode, we'll go over the topic of otitis media from the ear, nose, and throat section on MedBullets.com. Let's start this episode with a clinical snapshot. A nine-month-old boy presents to your urgent care clinic for increased irritability. One week prior to presentation, the patient had an upper respiratory infection, which has since improved. Over the last day, the mother has noticed that the child has been tugging at his right ear, refuses to lie down on it, and has had a fever. There is right tympanic membrane erythema that is bulging and minimally mobile with pneumatic otoscopy. Now, let's get into the episode. As a quick introduction, the definition of otitis media is a middle ear infection. With respect to epidemiology, as far as incidence, the peak of acute otitis media infection is between 6 to 18 months of age. Risk factors include immunocompromise, viral upper respiratory tract infection, and family history. Moving on to etiology, there is either an infectious or viral etiology to otitis media. Infectious etiology has three types. Streptococcus pneumoniae, which is the most common of the three, non-typable homophilus influenza, and Moraxella or Brenamella cateralis. Viral etiology can be secondary to respiratory syncytial virus, rhinovirus, adenovirus, coronavirus, influenza, and parainfluenza. Before talking about the pathoanatomy of otitis media, let's quickly go over the anatomy. So the middle ear is an aerated system, which includes the mastoid air cells, eustachian tube, and the nares. And know that the respiratory mucosa lines this system. As far as the pathogenesis, typically a viral upper respiratory tract infection leads to inflammatory changes to the respiratory mucosa of this aerated system. Edema leads to obstruction at the isthmus of the eustachian tube, which poorly ventilates the middle ear, creating negative pressure. This results in secretions accumulating in the middle ear, which creates a favorable environment for microbial growth. Moving on to the presentation of otitis media, symptoms include nonspecific findings of fever, irritability, headache, as well as poor oral intake and nausea. Otalgia, however, is the most common complaint, which is the best predictor of acute otitis media. Physical exam may reveal bulging or fullness of the tympanic membrane, erythema of the tympanic membrane, possible perforation with otorrhea, and possible absence of a light reflex. As far as studies to obtain in the workup of otitis media, pneumatic otoscopy is the most important, and with this you may find tympanic membrane bulging, which is the most specific finding, poor tympanic membrane mobility, and know that tympanic membrane color is typically white or pale yellow. Moving on to the differential diagnosis for otitis media, the one to know is otitis media with effusion, and the differentiating factors include that the tympanic membrane is retracted or in the neutral position, the tympanic membrane is amber or blue, and an air fluid level or bubbles are appreciated behind the tympanic membrane. Moving on to the treatment of otitis media, this is typically medical, which can include observation for a two-day period, amoxicillin, or amoxicillin clavulanate. Observation for a two-day period can be tried given the high incidence of viral etiology. Amoxicillin is indicated for patients that must have a low risk for amoxicillin resistance. It's also indicated in children less than six months of age and in children six months to two years of age with unilateral or bilateral acute otitis media. It's also indicated in children greater than two years of age who are toxic appearing with persistent otalgia of greater than 48 hours or a temperature of greater than or equal to 102.2 degrees Fahrenheit or 39 degrees Celsius for greater than 48 hours. Finally, amoxicillin can also be indicated in children greater than two years of age who have bilateral acute otitis media or otorrhea. 
Some important comments about amoxicillin to make is that in patients who are at high risk for amoxicillin resistance, give these patients amoxicillin clavulanate. Also, in patients with an allergy to amoxicillin, give a macrolide or lincosamide. Know that a high dose of amoxicillin is needed to overcome the altered penicillin binding protein made by Streptococcus pneumoniae. Finally, amoxicillin clavulanate can be used as a second line if there's treatment failure with amoxicillin. This can also be used first line if there's a local resistance pattern to amoxicillin. The complications of otitis media include hearing loss, tympanic perforation, tympanosclerosis, cholesteatoma, mastoiditis, meningitis, epidural and brain abscess, as well as cavernous sinus thrombosis. Okay, so now that we've gone over the major points about this topic, let's go over a few questions to apply the information and get a sense of how this topic has been tested on past exams. First question. A three-year-old boy presents to the pediatrician crying with ear pain, and his temperature has been 101 degrees Fahrenheit or 38.3 degrees Celsius for several days. His mother states that other children at his daycare center have been having similar symptoms. She further describes that he was fed formula and was not breastfed. The mother admits that she smokes cigarettes daily. On exam, the boy is irritable and crying and frequently tugs on his left ear. Both tympanic membranes appear erythematous, and the left appears opaque and bulging with decreased mobility on pneumatic otoscopy. Which of the following is the best next step in management? And the choices are 1. Amoxicillin 2. Amoxicillin clavulonic acid 3. TMP-SMX 4. Tympanocentesis and 5. Supportive therapy The correct answer to this question is 1. Amoxicillin so acute otitis media presents with ear pain and an erythematous tympanic membrane. The best initial step in management is to administer amoxicillin. Acute otitis media can be caused by respiratory viruses, but also bacteria including Streptococcus pneumoniae, Haemophilus influenzae, and Moraxella catarralis. Children are particularly susceptible because their eustachian tubes are shorter, run more horizontally, and have lower tone than those of adults all contributing to eustachian tube obstruction and middle ear fluid buildup. Bulging of the tympanic membranes has the highest positive likelihood ratio of 51.0 when making the diagnosis. The best initial step in management is to administer amoxicillin initially and amoxicillin clavulonate if refractory to amoxicillin alone. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 2, amoxicillin clavulonic acid would be the best next step in management if the patient did not respond to amoxicillin. Answer 3, trimethoprim sulfamidoxazole, or TMP-SMX, could be used for a UTI, but would not be the best initial antibiotic for otitis media. Answer 4, tympanocentesis is a highly invasive therapy that would be reserved for severe and refractory cases. And finally, answer 5, supportive therapy would be inappropriate for a case of bacterial otitis media. To leave you with a bullet summary, acute otitis media presents with bulging tympanic membranes, opaque-slash-cloudy tympanic membranes, and decreased tympanic membrane mobility, and the best initial step in management is to administer amoxicillin. And moving on to the final question, a 22-year-old man presents to the emergency department with ear pain. It started two days ago, but has been gradually worsening. The patient also endorses difficulty hearing out of the affected ear. He is otherwise healthy and only takes albuterol for asthma. His temperature is 97.9 degrees Fahrenheit or 36.6 degrees Celsius. Blood pressure is 121 over 81 millimeters of mercury. Pulse is 77 per minute. Respirations are 18 per minute. And oxygen saturation is 99% on room air. 
Physical exam is notable for a distended tympanic membrane with pure lungs behind it. The patient is given a prescription for antibiotics and is sent home. He returns six days later with a worsening of his symptoms. He is sent home with a prescription for a higher dose of the same medication and returns for follow-up with a resolution of his symptoms. Which of the following is the most appropriate explanation for this patient's clinical course? And the choices are 1. Altered penicillin binding protein. 2. Biofilm-mediated resistance. 3. D-alanine terminus changes. 4. Penicillinase production. And 5. Spontaneous recovery from infection. The correct answer to this question is 1. Altered penicillin binding protein. So this patient is presenting with ear pain and a distended tympanic membrane with purulence behind it, suggestive of acute otitis media. The first-line treatment is amoxicillin or amoxicillin clavulanate, and the treatment is a high dose to overcome the altered penicillin binding protein in streptococcus pneumonia, which is why this patient's symptoms improved with a higher dose of the first-line antibiotic. To quickly review, acute otitis media presents with ear pain and a distended tympanic membrane with erythema and purulence that is often visible. Patients may complain of ear pain and hearing loss in addition to other symptoms such as rhinorrhea or a sore throat. The diagnosis is made clinically, and treatment can involve observation for a two-day period prior to starting antibiotics, as most cases resolve spontaneously. If this fails, the first-line antibiotic is amoxicillin, and if this fails, amoxicillin clavulanate can be used. The treatment is targeted at the most common organisms, streptococcus pneumonia, haemophilus influenza, and moraxella catarrhalis. The dose of amoxicillin, or alternatively amoxicillin clavulanate, can be used depending on local resistance patterns, is high for this condition as streptococcus pneumonia is known to have an altered penicillin binding protein that only responds to higher doses of amoxicillin. Most middle ear infections resolve on their own within two to three days. In some cases, the tympanic membrane may rupture, which will often relieve pressure and pain. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 2, biofilm-mediated resistance is incorrect as biofilm-mediated resistance is one of the mechanisms by which Pseudomonas aeruginosa or Streptococcus viridans maintains resistance to antibiotics. Antibiotics are unable to penetrate the biofilm. Pseudomonas aeruginosa is susceptible to antibiotics such as ciprofloxacin, cefepime, or piperacillin tazobactam. Answer 3, D-alanine terminus changes are the mechanism by which organisms become resistant to vancomycin. Vancomycin is the antibiotic of choice for MRSA. However, it also covers other gram-positive bacteria. Note, it is not the preferred agent for methicillin-resistant Staphylococcus aureus. The preferred agent in this situation would be nafcillin. Answer 4. Penicillinase production is incorrect, as penicillinase production is the mechanism by which many organisms may become resistant to penicillins. However, it is not the mechanism by which streptococcus pneumonia acquires resistance, as evidenced by the new guidelines and responsiveness of streptococcus pneumonia in otitis media to higher doses of amoxicillin. Finally, answer 5. Spontaneous recovery from infection is possible, and most ear infections will resolve on their own with no treatment. For this reason, it is reasonable to treat acute otitis media with a two-day observation period before starting antibiotics. This patient's persistent symptoms that did not improve with low-dose antibiotics but did respond to a higher dose suggests the infection was not spontaneously getting better but rather responded to treatment. To leave you with a bullet summary, amoxicillin or amoxicillin clavulanate is the treatment of choice for acute otitis media and high-dose antibiotics are given to overcome the altered penicillin binding protein in these organisms. That's all for this review about otitis media. Hopefully that was helpful. 
This is the MedBullets Step 2 and 3 podcast, a daily audio review session by MedBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for medical student education. Keep in mind that these podcasts are designed to go along with the topics on MedBullets.com, and in fact, you can listen to these episodes right on the MedBullets website or mobile app while going through the topic. If you've gotten any value from the MedBullets Step 2 and 3 podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Also, if you aren't already, be sure to follow MedBullets on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for daily high-yield content. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow right here on the MedBullets Step 2 and 3 podcast.